may be seated this morning, and I want to invite you to take your Bibles and turn to Habakkuk chapter 3. Habakkuk chapter 3, just leave them laying open. We're going to try to get through uh, that chapter, and uh, Lord willing, we'll be able to do that today. And uh, I want us to begin reading in verse 1, Habakkuk 3, verse 1, and we're going to read down through verse 4. Habakkuk chapter 3. Uh, beginning in verse 1, and we're going to read down through verse 4, and we're going to think about this together today, from worry to worship. The last time that we were in Habakkuk, that first chapter, and then that uh, second chapter, especially the first, we saw Habakkuk almost just wringing his hands. He knew that the Babylonians were going to be coming in. They had already defeated the Assyrians. Um, They were going to be coming into Judah. They were going to be uh, taking... Uh, Israel, many of the Israelites captive. They were going to be taking uh, many of them back to Babylon. And they were going to lay waste of Jerusalem. And the temple was going to be destroyed. And I mean, Habakkuk was just in a place of real struggle. Why is it that God would use evil people or corrupt people or an unbelieving pagan nation to accomplish his task and to afflict his own people? And one of the things that God responded in Habakkuk chapter 2 was that he not only demands holiness from people who are non-believers, but he expects holiness from his people, right? He's not going to condemn sin in the sinner, in the Babylonian, and then turn around and condone it in the saint. And so today we want to talk about how God uses evil and suffering to show us his goodness. Uh, From worry to worship. Listen to um, the prayer of Habakkuk. A prayer of Habakkuk the prophet, according to Shiganoth. O Lord, I have heard the report of you and your work, O Lord, do I fear. In the midst of the years, revive it. He's talking about reviving his work. He's not using that word revive in a sense that we would have known in the late 1800s, right? He's using that word in a completely different sense. He's saying You keep working like you've been working. You revive your work. And then he says, in the midst of the years, make it known. Make your work and make your ways known. In wrath, remember mercy. God came from Taman and the Holy One from Mount Paran. And then he uses this word, Selah. And it's italicized because it's a word that you see sometimes in Psalms. You see it here. And it's a word that simply means What do you think about that? It's a dramatic pause. So when you're reading and you come to that word Selah, he's wanting you to say, wait a minute, what do I think about what? God came from Taman and the Holy One from Mount Paran, Selah, what do you think about that? And then he says, his splendor covered the heavens and the earth was full of his praise. His brightness was like the light rays flashed from his hands and there... He veiled his power. Father, I pray that you would just allow this text to come to life, uh, Lord, before our eyes. And that, God, you would teach us how pain and suffering and evil can ultimately be used by you, Lord, for your own glory and for our good. God, I pray that if there are some here today who are faced with just overwhelming circumstances and they are fearful Or, Lord, they're enduring a time of suffering. Uh, Lord, maybe there is just evil that they are surrounded with or encountering. I pray, God, that today you would remind us that you have this uncanny ability to be able to 
take us from places of dread and fear and darkness and worry. And God, you can transfer us and, and move us to a place where we see you at work in and through those things, God, that we might worship you and that our attention might be focused on you. So God, we commit this word to you this morning and ask that you would bless it, uh, Lord, as we read it and as we proclaim it. It's our prayer today in Jesus' name, and you all say amen. I want us to think about what God has showed us and taught us since we first opened these three chapters of the book of Habakkuk, this minor prophet to Judah. If you're just coming in and maybe you just were with us last week or, or the week before, maybe this is your first Sunday, uh, in these three chapters of the book of Habakkuk, we've been learning that God responds to the honest doubts and fears of his people. That's the way Habakkuk was in the midst of uncertainty and fear and suffering. God, uh, Habakkuk pours his heart out to God and God responds to that. And he responded to Habakkuk in a wonderfully honest way and uh, in, a, in a wonderful way uh, that really rekindles Habakkuk's heart for the Lord. God cares for the eternal life of his people, even in his apparent silence regarding evil and darkness. If you'll remember, that was one of Habakkuk's big complaints. God, where are you? You're not speaking, you're not moving, and it just seems like everything is in turmoil. What are you doing? And God reassured Habakkuk that he cared for the eternal life of his people. We learned in uh, verses 5 through 11 of chapter 1 that God calls us to be astounded by his ways and work among the nations, even when we don't comprehend it. He, he's drawing our attention to know he is Lord over the Babylonians, even in their unbelief, that God is not shook when heathen nations rage. So what does that mean for you today in the context that you live? If you're living next to somebody, and man, their life is just marked by wickedness, and they're making life hard on you, uh, I want you to know that God has that in control. He knows what's going on. I, I don't want you to raise your hand and, and to see who has a cantankerous neighbor, right? Or who has this cantankerous co-worker that they work next to. Or maybe an in-law or, or a relative that they have to deal with from time to time. And they're just trying to make life miserable on you. I want to say to you, even though you don't comprehend it, God is over that. If you believe it, say amen. And he taught us in that last part of chapter 1 that we should watch and wait patiently and faithfully on the Lord, trusting his character. When we don't understand, trust the very character of the Lord. I would encourage you to listen to a, a song by New Song. If you go to iTunes, you can pull it up. And uh, the main lyric or the main line is uh, when you... Uh, can't see his uh, hand and you can't trace his hand, trust his heart. When you don't see the Lord working, trust the very character of the Lord and the very word of the Lord that the Lord says, I am working. I am a God who never sleeps. I'm a God who never slumbers. Do you believe that today, faith family? Do you believe God's on his throne and he's watching and he's working and he's alive? He, he reminds us to do that. In chapter 2, we were reminded that God's people will live by faith, that God's glory will fill the earth, that God's kingdom will reign forever. And then in chapter 3, we're going to learn today that God can give us a heart of worship in the midst of evil and suffering. The Lord will use all things. He even uses evil 
When evil occurs, he turns it and works it for our good, as well as what he does with pain and suffering to demonstrate his glory, grace, and goodness. And so like Habakkuk the prophet, God can take us from places of worry to worship. He can take us from places of of trouble to triumph. He can take us from places of desperation to delighting in Jesus and Jesus alone. And so how is it that we learn in Habakkuk chapter 3 that we can be moved from a place of worry and dread concerning the problem of evil, fear, suffering, pain? How do we move from that to a place to where, man, we can put all of that in context and we can worship the Lord uh, and with a real heart of enthusiasm and excitement? Well, I would say to you, first of all, we should pray for God's mercy. We will understand the problem of evil as it relates to God's sovereignty as we pray for God's mercy. That's what you see Habakkuk doing in verse 1 and verse 2. That word, shuganoth, you say, what is that, preacher? We're not 100% absolutely sure what that is. No one is absolutely sure exactly what that is. We believe it's probably in reference to a musical tune. So it would be in reference to maybe a Hebrew tune. So this is a psalm that you see unfolding in Habakkuk 3. And so what you see in response to God showing his prophet Habakkuk when he's on the wall waiting from the Lord after he's already cried out to God, he's made his petition known to the Lord, he's lamented, he's, he's laid bare his soul before God. God comes to Habakkuk in chapter 2. He reveals to Habakkuk who he is. He gives him a great vision of this Lord and how he is going to be at work and how the Babylonians are not going to rule and reign forever. And Habakkuk's heart breaks into song. It breaks into prayer. And so this word, Shuganoth, is probably in reference to a musical tune. And so he says, a prayer of Habakkuk the prophet, according to Shuganoth, O Lord, I've heard the report of you and your work. O Lord, do I fear in the midst of the years, revive it, revive your work. In the midst of the years, make it known. And then he says, in wrath, in your wrath, remember mercy. We will understand the problem of evil as it pertains to God's sovereignty when you and I begin to pray a simple prayer and say, God, we pray you will have mercy. You'll have mercy on those who are unbelievers and you'll have mercy on people who are believers. And God, we pray that you will turn the world to you, the nations to you, and God, that you will have mercy on your people. Habakkuk had heard the Lord's report And in fear and reverence, he prays. And here's the three things that he prays. He says, God, will you continue to work? So God has revealed to them how he's going to use the Babylonians. He's revealed to them how miserable it's going to be. And here's what Habakkuk prays. He says, God, will you continue to work? You've showed me that you're here, you're present, you're not silent. And so God, you keep working your plan. And then he prayed and asked God to have mercy as his wrath is poured out. Wait a minute, preacher. Do you believe that we have a God who's a God of wrath? And I would say to you, we have a God who is a God of love. And we have a God who's a God of mercy. We have a God who's a God of grace. But I also want you to know today, we have a God who is full of wrath. We have a God who is just. We have a God who is holy. 
And my brothers and sisters, I want you to know and recognize that evil will not have its way in this world without God having the final answer. And so God has this way of demonstrating his mercy even as his wrath is being poured out on those who reject him. And so Habakkuk says, God have mercy. Why was he praying that? I would remind you, he's not just praying that because the Babylonians are coming in. He's praying that God would have mercy as the Babylonians attack Israel and take them into captivity. He's praying that God would have mercy on Israel because why are they being allowed to, take, to be taken into captivity? Because they had sinned before the Lord. And the very things that unbelieving nations were doing, Israel was starting to give themselves to that as well. And so God is going to deal with the sin of Israel, and he's going to use an unbelieving nation to do it. And so therefore, it caused Habakkuk to say, God, have mercy as your wrath is poured out. And then he prayed that the maturing believer uh, stops demanding and praying for justice and that he pleads for mercy. See, Habakkuk could have, could have taken the view, I'm going to focus all this on the Babylonians. God, they're lost, they're heathens, they're pagans, they don't love you, they don't, they don't care nothing about you, they are nothing but full of idol worshipers, right? And he could have said, that's the just thing to do, to focus on that which was wrong. But you see some tremendous wisdom and maturity in Habakkuk. Because Habakkuk is praying for mercy, not just for the way that God's going to use the Babylonians, but he's praying for mercy for the people of Israel. He's praying for mercy for his own heart and life. What's that got to do with us uh, on this Sunday morning? I want you guys to listen and listen well. Don't raise your hand. If you ever find yourself saying, that's unjust. If you ever find yourself saying, and if I was a betting man, I'd bet there's a whole host of us in this room that use this phrase. That's not fair. Y'all are giggling, smiling, because you know it's, it's on the money, right? That's not fair. That's unjust. Why does God allow that to happen? I wish he would take care of yada, 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 right? That A, B, and C, whatever that is. I wish God would do that. And we cry out in our flesh for justice and we cry out for fairness. And I want to say to you, listen to me, a mark of a mature believer is to cry out for mercy and not justice. You say, why is that, preacher? I don't know about you, but if I ask for God's justice, I'm afraid I would be slayed by his justice. Any among you, you got your act together in such a way that if it was not for God's grace and mercy being extended to your life, that you would not be a recipient of God's wrath? Oh, my brothers and sisters, it is important for us to know that when things appear to be unjust and things appear to be unfair, it is not ours to beat our chest and say, I demand justice, I demand fairness. No, you should say in all of your relationships, you should say in all of your work, you should say in all of your life, I don't want God's justice. I want God's 
mercy. And you say, well, what does that do with God's justice? We're coming to that. Here's the thing about God being a just God. Because it's part of his attribute, watch this, it's part of his character, God is just and he's always just. If you believe that, say amen. Amen. Uh, God is love and he's always love. If you believe that, say amen. Right? So watch this. Because it is who he is, we can entrust justice completely to God. We don't have to cry out for justice. We don't have to cry out for fairness. We don't have to cry out for rightness. Why? Because God has that under control. And so we see the maturing believer deals with that. We understand that he cries out for mercy because Habakkuk knew and realized that the evil that was coming, the disobedience that was occurring, that suffering that they were about to endure drives us to our knees and crying out to the Lord to deliver us. The psalmist said it this way, Psalm 34, 8, Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. How blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. Corey Timboon said it this way. She said, if you look at the world, you'll be distressed all of the time. If you look within yourself, you're going to be depressed all of the time. But she said, if you look at God and commit your life to him in prayer, you'll be at a place of real rest. My brothers and sisters, how we need to be a people who pray for mercy in the seeming evil times that are full of pain and suffering. If you will do that with your pastor, say amen. Number two, we need to not only pray for God's mercy, but we need to consider God's wrath. What about that justice question? Here it is. Because the very character of God is always just, you can trust the word when Habakkuk says, you march through the earth in fury. Your threshold, the nations, in anger. You went out for the salvation of your people, for the salvation of your anointed, and you crushed the head of the house of the wicked, laying him bare from thigh to neck. And there's that little word, Selah. What do you think about that? Preacher, I cry out for fairness and I cry out for justice because we're living in such a wicked time, it just seems like nobody wants righteousness and justice and, and those things that are just fair. And I would say to you, God knows all of that, and there's not one iota of that that God's not going to deal with in his way. See, you're forgetting, or we forget, that God the Father sent his Son, and we find out in John that it was... It was his only begotten son, right? And that he sent him to die on the cross to be a sacrifice and a substitute for our sin. Are you tracking with me? If you are, not at me like this. Now watch this. So when Jesus is hanging on the cross and he cries out, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? It is because 
the wonderful, beloved, only begotten Son of God who was perfect and right and without sin. He became sin for us. A matter of fact, all of our sin. Hello? All of our sin was placed on Jesus at the cross. And when he died, when he bled, when he suffered, and when he died, and when he gave up the ghost, and the earth trembled, trembled and the veil of the temple was torn in two, when darkness fell in the middle of the day, God's wrath was being poured out on Jesus. I'm not God, and my justice, my justice is so imperfect imperfect. It's not right. But if any of you did that to Jacob or Levi or Caleb or Kerr or Tracy, you came and you laid hold on them, you're going to get about 300 pounds and 5 foot 8 a whooping. You're going to get it. And I mean I'm going to be on you and not let you go because you would be grabbing my wrath. You watch this. God's wrath is never out of control. God's wrath and his justice is always measured. And Jesus being his only begotten son, there will be recompense to be paid. There will be a reckoning to occur for what Jesus endured on the cross. And so for everyone who rejects Christ and they reject his cross and they don't want anything to do with God, they don't believe in creation, they don't believe in human dignity, they don't believe in what Christ has done, they don't believe that the church is the bride, they don't believe that Jesus saves and transforms. Everybody who says, I want nothing to do with God, they remain guilty in their sin just as if they were one of the soldiers who nailed Jesus to the cross. And my dear church family, God is going to come and pour out his wrath on all of those who have rejected his love and his offer of grace in the person of Christ. Why do we persuade men because we understand the terror of the Lord. We know what it's like to have frustrated God with our own sin and to be convicted by that to where we would say, God, have mercy on me, a sinner, and forgive me of my sin. And so we consider God's wrath. I wish I wouldn't have shared all these stupid announcements. Let me, let me just give you this and I won't preach it. We consider God's wrath and glory in the past. Verse 3a, when he talks about uh, Taman and he talks about Paran, these two locations designate the approximate boundaries of the journey of Israel in the wilderness after the exodus. It's a reminder of God's holiness. Verse 3, the second part of verse 3 and 4, we, four, we consider the magnitude of God's glory. And we consider his glory and wrath. We consider how great he is. It's referring to the Shekinah glory of God at the return of Christ. 
in verses 5 through 15, we consider the consequences and the effects of God's glory and wrath. So to just piggyback what I was saying, Robertson says this, as God comes as personified light, he brings with him the penetrating destructive force of divine judgment. Even before the Lord arrives, the land is scarred by plagues. For every non-believer, the justice of God is coming unless you turn to Christ and you believe that he died on the cross for your sin. He who knew no sin became sin for you. He was your substitute on the cross. You don't have to endure the wrath of God. You don't have to experience the justice of God. You can experience the grace, love, and mercy of God all through the person of Jesus Christ by turning away from your sin and calling upon Christ. Now, I just want to wrap this up by saying this. Stand to your feet. You say, preacher, you ain't got to point three. I will during invitation. Listen to this. Preacher, it is 2019, big man. You're getting a little old. You have forgotten. We are living in progressive times. Don't you know that we are living in a tolerant age? Don't you know that we're not supposed to talk about things, about personal sin and about people's own dispositions and what they like and what they don't like and what they choose to do with their life and what they don't choose to do? My brothers and sisters, today I stop warning you about God's wrath and about God's justice. The moment that I stop telling you about the goodness and the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and how you can be forgiven of your sin and have a right relationship with God and live forever for all eternity, the moment that I am no longer convicted to do that, Katie, bar the door, I'm out of here. I'll be golfing, I'll be boating, I'll be hunting, I'll be fishing every day. That's what I'll be doing. I'm telling you today. I don't care what Hollywood tells you, what Nashville tells you. I don't care what your coffee shop discussions tell you. There is a God who created you and we are accountable to him. And I am telling you that he sent his only begotten son, Jesus Christ, to die on a cross. That whosoever would believe in him and call upon him could be saved for all eternity. Right? They could have everlasting life is what he tells us in John. And what I am here to say to you today is, if you believe in a God who is love, you must equally believe in a God who is full of wrath and fury. Habakkuk speaks of it. Preacher, are you saying to me that you're one of them fire and brimstone type preachers? I'm telling you when it's in the text, I preach it. And I'm telling you today that God's wrath is going to be poured out on ungodliness. We must turn from ungodliness. I would say to you that cleansing and judgment starts in the house of the Lord. We want God to cleanse our own hearts. and We want to pray for mercy. And then in verses 16 through 19, we want to rejoice in God's strength and salvation. Listen to what Habakkuk says. Come on, Belinda. Yet I will rejoice in the Lord and I will take joy in the God of my salvation. We respond in awe and wonder at God's strength and justice. We recognize the coming loss as God delivers his people, meaning that when the Lord comes again, there's going to be devastating loss like we have never seen. And then we are resolved in light of that to trust the coming Lord with joy and gladness and believe that he is a God of not only my salvation, 
but he is a God who will save all those who call upon him. If you believe it, faith family, wave at me like this. If you're here and you don't believe it, I want to encourage you to bow your head and more importantly your heart and ask God to forgive you of your sins, turn from your sin and ask Jesus to give you a new heart and a new life to become the Lord of your life, not just to save you for out there sometime when you die, but to change you in the here and now. God can do it. Ask God to forgive you of your sins. If you're here today and you're a believer trying to live faithfully, I want to encourage you. This problem of evil is not that big a problem when we understand that God can take all things and work them out for good to them who love him and are called according to his purpose. Let's trust the very love, mercy, very character of God. Father, work in us today. God, we need you. Lord, I, I don't need your justice. I don't want to cry out for justice. I, I don't want to be the guy that just cringes my fist and say, that is unjust, that is unfair, that is unright. Somebody's got to deal with that. Lord, you are the Holy One. You are completely just. Lord, it is in your righteousness that we are robed. God, it is by your grace and mercy that we can even call out to the Lord and mention his name. Jesus, you've taken us from being aliens and enemies of God, children of the dark, and you have made us children of the light and brought us into a right relationship that where God the Father looks at us as one friend or one man looks upon the face of another. God, I'm thankful that you, uh, we're no longer your enemies, but because of Christ, Lord, we have been made your friends. And so, Lord, we pray for mercy today. We pray for mercy for all of us who are believers. And God, we pray for mercy for everyone who's not a believer. And Lord, we pray that you would help us not to be frustrated when evil and suffering and pain and trials come. But Lord, you'll help us be faithful. That we'll trust your character and we'll trust your word. And Lord, that you will balance your sovereignty and what appears to be injustice. Lord, we'll entrust that to you. God, have your way in our hearts. As we sing, lift your voices to the Lord and cry out to Him. And if you need to come, I would love to pray with you. I would love to share the gospel with you. Whatever, listen to you, whatever need you have, won't you come? This is